0: As always, I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and this podcast is the number one place for all things crystals. I am really excited to dive into today's show because it's an interview. We haven't done an interview for a little while. We're going to have a couple coming up for you kind of all in a row here Um, But I'm really excited about today's interview in particular because it is with someone that I really deeply admire. Um, It's with a student of the Love and Light School, Sarah Balmer of Sarah Bell Style, but she is so, so much more than just a crystal worker. Sarah is um, deeply involved in yoga, meditation, uh, mala making, which is the topic for today's interview. And so much more. And I just can't wait for Sarah to be able to share her message with all of you listening. Um, I just I love speaking with her because I kind of always hang on to her every word. We've done interviews with Sarah in the past. And this was a topic that I was personally really, really excited about. But before we dive into today's official topic, I wanted to answer a question for our Ask Me Anything segment. Remember, you can submit your own questions anytime over at loveandlightschool.com slash ask for the chance to have your question answered right here on the show. So today's question comes from Cindy and Cindy says, I've seen crystal balls, and she puts crystal balls in quotes. This is very cute. I have seen crystal balls that have had the quartz crystal ground up and then created into a ball to be called a crystal ball. I wonder, with the structure gone and the C-axis gone, does this type of crystal ball really work? Cindy, this is a great question because you do kind of see these all over the place. So, There are a number of ways to really look at this. When you're thinking about the crystal ball working, I suppose it depends on what your purpose is. For most of us, that's going to be scrying divination or gazing into the crystal ball, which is called crystallomancy. But for others, it might be using that crystal ball as a massage tool. So either way, if you're thinking about this in terms of the C-axis of the crystal, which is that long central plane of symmetry in a hexagonal or trigonal crystal, so in this case in our quartz crystal, that would get damaged through the process where they're grinding this up and then reconstituting it into a perfectly flawless quartz ball. And here's, I guess, what I would say to anyone out there kind of thinking about pursuing one of these crystal balls I personally really like when my crystal balls that I'm using for scrying or crystallomancy have some inclusions, have some veils, have some fractures, some rainbows, some imperfections. Because when you're gazing into a crystal ball, it's all of those little imperfections that kind of create the inner world of the crystal, that create that backdrop for the gazing work that you're doing, for the scrying work that you're doing. And when you have a perfectly clear, flawless crystal ball, in my opinion, it's almost a little distracting and really difficult to do any kind of scrying because when you're looking into the ball, you're not just looking into it, you're looking straight through it because there's nothing inside of that ball to kind of stop your gaze from going right through to the other side. So I would first ask, you know, you're, you're questioning whether or not these would work And the answer is sure. I mean, lots of objects can be used for scrying that aren't crystals and aren't crystalline in structure. I mean, you can scry on the surface of water. You can scry in fire. There are so many forms of scrying divination. You can scry in the clouds. But in terms of the crystal's energy, I do think That a regular natural crystal ball, even if it's a little bit lower quality, not flawlessly clear with all of its little imperfections, makes a much more interesting divination tool regardless. Now, as for that actual energetic part of it, I do think that really these crystal balls, although they do have energy because everything has energy, They won't work the same anymore as a natural crystal ball would. They've gone through such an intensive transformation process that really energetically they are quite different. They're really just pretty much like glass. And if you've ever held one of these, um, it, it really just doesn't feel any different than glass. There's no internal crystalline structure left to it. Um, at least that I can sense and from what I understand about the process of how these are made, there's not really that same kind of structure as in a natural crystal. So this is a great question. And of course, it really comes down to personal preference. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, I always promote personal experience over pretty much anything else. So if you want to do a test, Cindy, I would encourage you to do that. Try getting one of these small Little crystal balls, an inexpensive one. You can usually find them for less than $10 or so. And try scrying with that versus scrying with a natural quartz ball and see what kind of differences you have in your experience. So, thank you, Cindy, so much for submitting your question to Ask Me Anything. And if you have a question that you'd like answered about crystals, spirituality, or heart-centered business, let me know over at loveandlightschool.com slash ask. And now it's time to dive into our main topic for today. We are talking all about making malas so making your own prayer beads and as i mentioned i am so delighted to be able to bring you this interview with sarah balmer from sarah bell style sarah has been teaching mala making workshops Um, She does yoga and meditation and teaches those as well. So I hope that you will really enjoy the experience of just listening to Sarah's passion about this subject. And I do just want to let you know, stick around till the end of the interview because um, Sarah really shares some great tips. And she also has a mala making ebook that's really like a little do it yourself at home workshop. And I have to tell you, I bought a copy of this ebook for myself because I was just really curious as to what it was all about. I've been working with malas for probably about 10 years now and although it's not a practice that I do every single day, it is a practice that always brings me back to center and always gets me really focused on the present moment and it's something that I do find myself going back to time and time again even if there's a little bit of a gap in between obviously for me it's kind of all crystals all the time but every now and again I do like to work with some other spiritual tools and mala beads are definitely something that I feel very connected to so without further ado I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my interview with Sarah and I'll catch you at the end I hope you enjoy Hello and welcome. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing the amazing Sarah Ballmer from Sarah Bell Style. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I am really looking forward to this because obviously this is not the first time that we've gotten to connect. You were a student at Love and Light, but you do your own amazing, brilliant work in the world. And you were a part of our Crystal Mastery Conference um, last year. <laughs> And that was such a special event because you talked all about crystals and how you incorporate them in your yoga practice, but you do so much more than that. And in today's interview, we're going to be talking about your passion for working with malas, particularly crystal mala beads. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your background and your story and how your own kind of mala work practice um,
1: played a big role in your spiritual growth? Yeah, So that's a lot to unpack, Um, but just a little bit about my background. So I do teach yoga. Uh, I also am a jewelry maker, and um, I feel like that's really where the malas, um, those two things kind of intersect, is really two passions of mine, that and just having a really rich Um, spiritual practice, you know, with meditation and um, just a more expanded yoga practice. And so all those things kind of come together to create this love that I have for mala beads. Um, So malas, you know, interestingly, a lot of people just think it's like yoga jewelry, uh, because a lot of yogis will wear them around their wrist, but then they don't really realize that, you know, they're such a, a rich tool for expanding your meditation practice. And so that's really um, I guess a little bit about, you know, what took me to, to mallets.
0: You know, I have kind of, I just want to share like my own personal favorite mala story because I have um, just a very few sets of mala beads. I know some people have, you know, loads and loads of them, but I have a set that I made personally for myself that is really special to me because it combines tons of different kinds of crystals. Each bead is different, is a different stone, and they all mean something to me. So when I was adding each bead and creating this mala, I was kind of holding the intention that that's what that crystal would help connect me with. And then kind of another experience that I had working with my mala beads that I will treasure for the rest of my life is um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama came to mm-hmm. see me here in Madison, Wisconsin. He's, he's actually come several times, but at one of the times that I went to see him speak, I decided, you know what, I got so much out of the first time just listening to his wisdom and his words. But this time, I just want to be in this presence. I want to be in this amazing environment full of people who are here to listen to him speak and share his wisdom and his knowledge. And I brought my mala beads, and I just silently was saying mantras to myself and working with my prayer beads while listening to this amazing Mm -hmm. spiritual teacher and leader. And it was such a profound experience for me because I found that they really helped me be in the present moment. You know, mm-hmm. the first time that I heard him speak, I went in with this intention to really be present and listen and absorb. But just by having that little bit of touch point, that connection mm-hmm. point, it really helped me be there and mm-hmm. absorb it a different way. So yeah. I'm curious for you, like, was there some kind of, you know, experience or experiences that really stood out to you when you were working with Malabies that made you dive into that even a little bit deeper, more than just, you know, that connection of, yeah, yoga jewelry.
1: Yeah, so one of the really wonderful things about Japa Mala practice is that it incorporates sound and vibrational healing, and there's so much power in sound healing. And so, you know, a lot of times whenever we meditate, we're just sitting there in silence, you know, trying to tame the the monkey mind and all of that. And so, the wonderful thing about Mala practice is that you have a mantra that you're working with, and you repeat that mantra over and over and over. And so, you're using not just sound, but your own sound that, you know, you make as a human, which kind of starts to vibrate throughout the whole body. And the idea is that the repetition of that sound or mantra starts to create a chemical change at a cellular level and really helps to bring about that that, um, place of stillness that can be hard to achieve otherwise. And so I think for me personally... The sound aspect of mala practice is what really creates more or has created more of a shift for me is using my own sound, my own voice, and allowing it to kind of take me to that place of stillness. And then if you have an opportunity to do it as a group, which in my mala classes that we do, um, once everyone makes their mala at the end of the class, we do a mantra practice together. And it's just such a powerful shift in energy to do that as a group when you have everybody doing it and I'll just build on this um, a step further since you were talking about the Dalai Lama. So one of the most wonderful mantras that you can use for mala practice is Om Mani Padme Hum, which um, means hail to the Hill to the jewel of the lotus, when the uh, wisdom of the mind rests in the lotus of the heart, compassion arises. And so it's a mantra for compassion. And it said that all of the wisdom of the Buddha's teachings are in this one mantra. And so this mantra is being chanted thousands of times across the planet at any point in like during the day and so when you chant it you are tuning into that vibrational frequency of the monks the buddhists all the people around the world that are chanting this at the same time and so it's such a powerful mantra to use because it just has so much momentum and just so much richness to its frequency and so so when we talk about sound and mantras um, that's an, an especially potent one to use
0: I'm getting a little bit emotional just hearing you just hearing you talk about that because it is one of those those things that through sound we can tap into this amazing connection to the world around us, to the universe around us, to other beings. And it's a thing that really awakens your heart like mm-hmm. nothing else. And because you're taking such an active role mm-hmm. in that process, it it just helps you feel instantly clicked in.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: Tell us a little bit um, for those who might not be familiar. What are kind of the logistics of a mala? Because we've all seen them, but yeah. not everyone realizes that they're they're pretty specific. They're not just these pretty pieces of jewelry.
1: Yeah, definitely. So all malas have hundred and eight beads, and there's a lot of a um, hundred and eight is a sacred number. There's many um, there's many reasons behind the hundred and eight, and if you research 108, you'll get all of these different beautiful um, things that arrive at 108. And then the 109th bead is called the guru bead. It's the bead at the um, bottom of the mala that sits above the tassel. And that represents um, like all of your teachers. It really represents your guru. But in today's time, a lot of us don't practice with any one guru or teacher. We have many. And in, in many cases, you know, even the people that we have close relationships with are our teachers. And so that that guru bee can represent really anyone that's imparted wisdom or has played a special role in our life. And when you're chanting your mala and you get to that point in your, in your mala practice, you're giving thanks to your teacher, or all of your teachers that have, that have, Come into your life, and then the tassel there's usually a tassel at the bottom of the mala. Some malas are made with you know pendants or you know crystals and things at the end, and that's fine too. But traditionally, you see a tassel at the end, and that really represents our connection to the universe and the thread that binds us all.
0: And malas can be made out of lots of different materials. What are some mm-hmm. of the choices that someone might? Yeah. yeah. And, and why might crystals be a good option?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so there are some traditional beads that are used uh, in mala making. So red ruksha is a traditional bead. And I have um, one of those here. So for those watching the video, I'll show that up close. Um, but this... Um, Red Raksha beads are also called Shiva tears and are associated with Lord Shiva. Um, It's said that Lord Shiva went into a meditation for um, peace for all of humanity. And when he came out, he wept and his tears flowed down into the earth. And then from that, the red Raksha tree um, came about. And then Tulsi is another um, traditional bead. And I love using Tulsi because it's just such a powerful medicinal plant in Ayurveda. And that's actually what I'm wearing here for those that... watching the video Um, uh,
0: holy basil right
1: yes exactly it's also called holy basil Um, it's just a really powerful adaptogenic herb that helps with the stress response and inflammation it's wonderful to wear it against the skin Um, you can also you'll see it in like pill form and even as a tea um, people take it that way as well And so it just adds a really nice organic element to a Mala, a strand of Mala beads. And the thing I like about it too, is when you practice with it, you know, over time, the oils of your hands kind of start to make it develop this like patina or a more, um, you know, just a more worn look, which I feel like over time, you really start to develop a relationship with your Mala when you've been working with it. Um, And so crystals, I mean, there are many other beads, but crystals obviously are my favorite <laughs> in terms of incorporating into malas because you know they have so many ways um, that they can support us and so another aspect of working with a mala is that you're also working with an intention. And so in your mala practice, you're creating an intention, you're chanting that mala and sitting in your meditation practice, holding that intention in your heart and creating this beautiful high frequency from which you can start to help manifest that intention into the world. And so when we start to pair that With crystal energy, you have like, you know, there's really magical effect because now you're getting that energetic support from the crystals and from the earth that is building more momentum behind that practice. And so, you know, I wouldn't say there's any one crystal that I would recommend for a mala. I think that's really an individual choice based on the intention that you might be working with and where you find energetic support from that particular crystal.
0: And do you often see people combining some of these materials, maybe Mm -hmm. using some Rudrakshas with maybe like a crystal Mm -hmm. bead or counter beads or something like that?
1: Absolutely. There's really no way that they have to, you know, be strong. And another um, thing that you can do is also add spacer beads to your mala. So these are in addition to the 108 beads. And this is especially nice for someone that's just starting their practice because the idea of the spacer bead is that it's giving the mind kind of a place to pause and recenter and come back to your practice. And it can also be like a counter bead. So if you have three spacer beads, then it's you're going to know that you're a quarter of the way through your mala. And when you get to the next, you'll know that you're halfway through your practice. And so it can kind of be a guide in that sense as well. And so I, I always like to make the spacer beads accent beads. So that's a nice place to intersperse crystals or, you know, special beads as well.
0: So once we've chosen our mala or created it ourselves, because I know you have this amazing mala making workshop that you teach, and Mm -hmm. you're also offering an ebook that's kind of like a workshop guide in and of itself that anyone can Mm -hmm. do. And I have to say, I was super intrigued when I found out you're offering this. I bought this workbook. I sat down one afternoon and went through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I, my heart was so full. I felt so Mm -hmm amazing after going through that workshop, because it was something that you really cover everything you need to know about a mala. You talk about creating the mala, setting intention, working with your chosen mantra. You talk about um, committing to your practice, which Mm -hmm. is a big part of it. What can we do? Because I know so many of us sometimes have these grandiose plans of how we're going to connect to spirit, connect to the universe and kind of tap into our own spirituality. Um, but then we stray from that, or we get busy, or Mm -hmm. why is this such a simple practice for people to commit to?
1: Yeah, so I think one aspect is the time commitment is really small, and I think that that is, you know, what most of us struggle with is finding the time or having the time, And to go through 108 beads, depending on, you know, how fast you go and what your mantra is, you can get through it usually in about five minutes. And so, you know, just asking, can I give myself five minutes a day just for myself and just for, you know, focusing in on my intentions? And when you can do that and commit to just that little bit of time for yourself, you can see really powerful changes in your life. And so I think that that is, you know, one thing. And then the other thing, too, is that it's not intimidating. I think that sometimes, you know, we have good intentions about starting some type of spiritual practice, but then we feel a little intimidated about it, especially like just your traditional meditation of sitting in silence. I don't know how many people have told me, oh, I can't do that. Meditation isn't for me. My brain's way too busy. And, you know, everyone's is. That's not a unique problem to have. And so with the mala, I think it kind of lowers that barrier to entry and that it's very simple. It gives your hand something to do. It gives your mind a place to rest. It, You know, like there's an activity involved, not just, you know, sitting in silence. And so I think those things kind of help um, to overcome, you know, that hurdle of, of making the commitment.
0: So one of the things that you teach in your workshop and that you also share in this ebook that you've created is really amazing step-by-step instructions for creating your own mala. Now, of course you make them as well and you sell them on your website and you do from time to time have some really beautiful malas, but why would you encourage someone to kind of take that next little step and make one for themselves?
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, when you make your own mala, you're infusing your energy into the mala with every single bead that you string. And so it really is an emanation of your own creation. And so I think that's a really beautiful thing because, you know, you're creating it and then you're also creating the tool by which you're going to, you know, build on your intention and and ultimately manifest what it is you want in the world. And so I think that's a really special and sacred thing when you're you know, creating it from scratch. You know, these, you're taking beads from all over the place and you're putting them together in your own unique way. It's your own unique expression. And it just, I feel like it creates this kind of bond and relationship with that tool from the very beginning. And that's just a really special process.
0: And after this whole process of creating your mala, uh, one of the final things that you touch on in this workshop and in this ebook is blessing your mala why is this an important part of the practice in your eyes?
1: Yeah. So I think that, I think it's wonderful to incorporate an element of ritual or ceremony in any type of spiritual practice. You know, it really allows us to become grounded and become centered and really kind of pull all of our energy back, you know, into ourselves and, and, be really clear with our intentions and so i think it's wonderful to to have that element of ritual or ceremony as you start or commence this this practice and it also helps i think with the commitment too you know you're just kind of creating this um like this special event around what it is you're wanting to cultivate in your life. And so I recommend, you know, doing that like sage, using sage in that process. So, you know, to kind of start everything, kind of cleansing and clearing your field, the mala, um, and then using oils to anoint and bless your mala. And so, depending on what types of beads you use, some beads are very absorbent and you can put oils in them. Like lava stone is one that I use a lot because you can drop some essential oil, even if you just have one bead. And in your mala. It's a wonderful way to incorporate that element of an oil diffuser in your mala. And then red raksha too is nice to rub the oil into all of the beads and so when you do that you're creating another sensory element that becomes part of your practice and then if you're wearing your mala throughout the day whether it's on your wrist or your neck and you get that little whiff of the scent throughout the day it kind of brings you back you know to your practice to your intention and it just creates a much richer practice over time too to have that element involved
0: and fragrance and scent as we know are so powerful for helping Mm -hmm. us get centered and grounded and in the present moment and and trigger a response in our brain, right? So it kind Mm -hmm. of shifts you into that place where you're ready to take time for your spiritual practice and be only focused on that. And that's one of the reasons that we burn incense in meditation Mm-hmm. So it's such a powerful thing. And I love the idea of incorporating that into your Mala. So yeah. Sarah, how can people get their hands on a copy of this ebook and do this on their own? And I know you also offer a way for people to teach Mala making workshops.
1: I do. So the ebook is called the art of mala making ritual and practice. And even if you don't want to make your own mala, there's still a lot of good information in there um, about how to work with the mala, how to hold it and just, you know, from A to Z. Um, and that's on my website. It's sarabellstyle.com. And then there is another version of the, the ebook. It's the teacher edition. So for folks out there that might be yoga teachers or meditation teachers, if you want to offer the workshop that I offer, I cover everything from from A to Z so that you can create your own Mala making workshop. Um, I also include um, places on where to get all of your supplies and materials as well. So everything that you need to know.
0: And I think this is such a good opportunity for people who want to, create that community, create that Mm -hmm. space for people to come together. Like you said, it's so much more powerful when we do this work in a group. And so Mm -hmm. you do offer that option for people as well, which I think is just amazing. Sarah, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your amazing insight and
1: wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, that
0: is it for my interview with the amazing Sarah Ballmer of Sarah Bell Style. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you learned a lot and that you have a few practices that you're excited to integrate into your own mala work. Or if you're brand new, hopefully this interview inspired you to give it a try and get started. Now I want to dive into our Trending This Week segment. As you know, each week I bring you a quick discussion on something that's happening in the world of crystal healing and spirituality, or something that I'm just really loving right now that I want to share. And this week I want to talk to you about a book from my childhood. Um, I got this book from my Uncle John when I was seven years old. I got it for Christmas, and I was so in love with this book when I was a kid. Um, It's called Heaven on Earth, and it's by the author Fritz Wegner. And what it is, is this really cool book about astrology that has all these little pop-outs and little wheels and flaps that you can open and all kinds of things. It's like this little interactive guidebook to the Zodiac. And it really was something that I connected with in a super deep way. When I was little, um, I, I think that this definitely helped kind of feed my early appetite for different spiritual and new age kind of topics, and I just loved, loved this book. Unfortunately, <laughs> and fortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, I have an amazing younger brother, but at the time when I was seven, he was two. So you can imagine probably how long this really cool book was with all of its little flaps and wheels and doodads lasted not very long. I remember coming home from school one day and my younger brother, bless him, had completely destroyed this book. I have been looking and searching for this book for years and years and I could not for the life of me remember the name of it, but I knew when I saw it, I would recognize the cover. So the past few weeks, I kind of made it my mission to find this book no matter what. And I can't tell you how much time I spent Google image searching all different kinds of combinations of keywords to find this really weird astrology pop-up book from my childhood. Um, So this book came out in 1992 uh, again, when I was that was when I was seven years old and it was something that I was just so in love with and I actually finally found it on Google search. So I immediately went to Amazon and although it's out of print, I was able to get a copy um, for like less than 30 bucks, which was pretty exciting. And it hasn't arrived yet. I'm still waiting for it and I'm hoping that it kind of lives up to the hype. But it made me really start to think, about some of those things that we are exposed to as kids and teens and young adults that really help shape who we are in terms of our spiritual path. So I'm kind of curious. Let me know. Pop over on Facebook. Catch me on Instagram. I'm at Love and Light School. And let me know what are some of those things, books, people, experiences that shaped your spiritual path that shaped you as a person and just let me know i love hearing from you guys so please pop over um, facebook insta anywhere like that and let me know what's one thing that really really shaped your spiritual path and if you do happen to go check out this really cool book heaven on earth by fritz wagner let me know what you think. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm hoping it kind of lives up to my memory of it. Hopefully I haven't put it on too much of a pedestal, but it's just one of those things that I remember being super, super magical. So that is it for today. I hope you found a lot of value in today's show. And if you want more information about anything I discussed in this episode, you can learn more over on the website at loveandlightschool.com blog. And if you did enjoy the show today, of course, the biggest compliment you can give me is to leave a quick rating and review over at loveandlightschool.com slash listen. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe through that link as well so you never miss a future episode. And today I wanted to give a shout out to Katie Marie 170 for leaving an awesome review on iTunes. And Katie Marie says incredibly informative. I absolutely love the QA podcast, which is good, Katie Marie, because we have plenty more of those coming up. It seems like Ashley knows exactly what I needed to hear that day. Thank you so much for the abundance of information. Keep up the good work. Katie Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to share that review. I really appreciate it. It's those little things that kind of keep cheering me on and making me really excited to record a new episode of the podcast each week. So I appreciate it more than you could know. Thank you so, so much For taking the time to do that. And if you decide to take a minute to leave me a review of your own, I'll give you my Crystal Chakra Healing Step by Step class as a free gift. So once you've posted your review, just take a screenshot of it and send it to me at support at loveandlighthealingschool.com. And my team and I will get your class all set up and ready to go, and we'll reply back with details about how you can get started. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Love and Light Live podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and I'll be back with you in our next episode. Until then, crystal blessings. The Love and Light Live podcast is a production of the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy.